Good morning, everyone. You don't even have masks on. You can't hide behind it. I can tell. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to have you. Wouldn't it be great if your preachers could actually nail down their sermons and break it up into those 10 quick little sections and they'd be done by like eight minutes every week? Can I hear an amen on that one? Okay, I'm just checking because I'm going to really struggle in eight minutes, but I'll do my best. Before we begin today, I just want to thank our band. Um, I, I don't know how you guys feel with music, but personally for me, uh, I, I turn up a bit after nine each week to church. I get to hear six or seven bands that we have here at Refresh, and we are so blessed. We are incredibly blessed. But just a huge thank you to our band today. The music just brought me so close to God. Uh, so where, wherever you are, thank you. Thank you so much. Today, I want to talk about a subject that happened to me personally. So, Neil's right. When you hear of the topic of wrestling with God, you could be thinking, you know, is it some issue that you're facing that you need to write? And it wasn't. Um, And what I would like to suggest is that God is interested in the destination that each one of us, he has blessed and aligned us to be in. And that's... That, in a nutshell, is really what I want to look at today, that God actually has a destination for each one of us, and it's more than just, uh, you know, I think that's the way he wants me to I actually believe God actually has an alignment for each one of us. He knows where he wants us to be. Uh, Please bow your heads with me as uh, we pray before we open God's word this morning. God in heaven, we thank you uh, that we can be here today. We thank you that uh, we've... We're gradually seeing a little bit more freedom, being able to actually take our masks off and we see it. We thank you for that. We thank you for the discipline of so many Queenslanders. And uh, Lord, uh, we pray for our countrymen and our world at this time. Uh, but right now, as we open your word, I pray that your spirit anoints my lips. Amen. One of the traditions that our family does over Christmas is, yeah, we do the Christmas thing, uh, but pretty much prior to Christmas and as soon as uh, Christmas is done, uh, we focus in on two, three, sometimes four weeks of ministry service at our summer camps. Now, if you're a parent, you'll know that at some point in the next few weeks, you want to get online real quick uh, so that you can book your kids in for camp because they just, uh, they just sell out so quick. And, uh, and that's something that we have always done. It's something that, you know, when I was a youth director and we were lucky enough to bring drag, I'm not sure we dragged our kids along, maybe we did, but it's something that is part of our family's DNA over Christmas. Uh, we serve at summer camp. Well, it was one of those summer camps that was hot. Now, over the last day or so, in little patches, uh, Pastor Trev from Pine Rivers, who lives sort of on where we live, uh, we've been building a shed. And as we were out there building the shed, It was hot, but it wasn't as hot as what Somerset hot is. Because there are times and weeks during summer camp where it can can hover between 35 to early 40s uh, all week. And it was one of those weeks. We had a great time. Cara, I'm sure, would have been down at the waterfront teaching kids to wakeboard and water ski. And I was probably... Uh, either parking the bus, uh, getting it bogged, or uh, trying to help with our sailing program. And 
and it was at the end of the week, and come Sunday, we were looking forward to going on holidays, and it was my first ever holiday, and if I use the name Grandad, he's Grandad to Dylan and Bella and Jai, but not to us, but we still call him Grandad. But Cara's dad worked with Qantas for 30 plus years, and one of the things that they have are Qantas staff travel, and we were going with him on a long service trip. And Cara had spent many, many times with Grandad on these trips, and she knew that it's not like you and I when we pay money for a ticket. It's one of those ones where you turn up and maybe you get on the flight. Maybe you don't. You can be all dressed up and you have to dress up in case you're lucky enough to get business class. And Grandad and Cara had been, had been training me and uh, we, we got our message from Grandad, and he said, you need to be at the airport Sunday afternoon for a flight to Sydney. And we had our little seven kilo bag each, which is all we're allowed to take, which is interesting, because we went from 40 degrees Somerset uh, to when we arrived in Colorado, it was minus 20 degrees Celsius. And uh, you have no idea how cold that is unless you've been there. It's just crazy cold. And we, we arrived at the airport, and we had tickets that were waiting for us, and we jumped on the domestic flight, and instead of going where I normally sit in cabin class, we had business class, domestic. And I thought, this is like... For me, the words that I wrote in the sermon were, it was like all of my mother's gluten steaks had come at once. <laughs> for those of you who have no idea what that means, it's like the best ribeye fillet with maybe a bit of mushroom sauce. It's just the best. Well, anyway, I was like, wow, business class. Uh, they gave me the same orange juice and peanuts, but the food was a little bit better, and the seat was wider. It's pretty comfy. And uh, I looked at the other people, and I wanted to wave to them. But Kara said, that's not kosher. So we arrived in Sydney, and Kara said, Grandad was there waiting, and he said, you've got to hurry. Kara said, welcome to our holiday. I didn't know what she meant. It's like, okay. So we took off and we had a flight to Melbourne because at that stage, the A380s, big double-decker planes, Cara's dad actually trains the pilots to fly them. And it was the second flight ever out of Melbourne by an A380. And uh, we flew to Melbourne, got on the plane, and again, no cabin class. I was used to it now. I didn't even wave to the people at the back. Just, just became one of those people. And, uh, and we flew to Melbourne. The next morning, we, we got up early and got to the airport. And there's only one... There was a couple of flights that day. The first one was full. Uh, and the second flight... So Cara's dad had tickets for both flights, uh, which he gets... Anyway, it's a complex thing. And anyway, we, we're there, and he said, there's something wrong. Now, I thought it was a good thing when the pilot arrived that Graham knew the pilot. I thought, well, that's a confidence thing for me. And... And then we waited because the computer system for Qantas had gone down. And they didn't know um, how many spare seats they had on the plane, which is sort of important when you're wanting to fly somewhere. And, and we stood there, and Cara said, you just have to be patient. We could be in Melbourne for days. Melbourne's all right, I guess, but I wanted to go on the Big Bird. And eventually, the lady grabbed the three of us and there were other people there lined up and said, come with me. And she walked us to the aeroplane 
and we walked past a group, about 50 people. And as I walked past, I looked at them, and they didn't look happy. They looked a little sad. And then we got on the big plane, and I said, Cara, Graham, who are those people? And he said, they're the Qantas staff who missed out. I was like, I felt really overjoyed, but I could also feel how they were feeling. We got off, took off, and, and it was incredible. I want to tell you that it was three times. If you get my mum's gluten steaks three, day, three meals in a row, you're doing okay. Well, I got business class three times in a row. All my Christmases, although it was past Christmas, had come at once, and I just thought, wow. And we took off, and I realised an hour into flight why I got that seat, because the TV didn't work. Um, but... The chair massaged you. I just want to let you know what it's like. Save up, it's unbelievable. The chair massages you. Rick, it's like the gym. And then, and then it lays flat, and it's wide, and they serve you incredible meals. And then, even better, if you stay up all night watching movies like Cara and I did, they actually have a food bar, and you just turn up and grab what you like. And it was just incredible. But when we arrived in LA, Cara's dad turned up because he'd slept the whole way. And we were looking a bit droopy. We'd been up from summer camp. We'd had a busy, heavy week in the sun. And then we stayed up pretty much the next day, all day and all night, enjoying the Qantas experience. And then we arrived a little, a little tired. And Grandad said, it's time to go. Where? Because I thought we'd spend some time in LA. I thought we would relax a little bit. Uh, but that's not a Grandad holiday. Go, go, go. So we took off. And as we got out of LA, I'd been encouraging Graham to take us to a place that I'd visited years before. Now, have any of you ever been to America and you've been to Death Valley? Doesn't sound terribly nice. Andrew's been there. When I visited Death Valley, it was uh, with a youth director's tour, and it was in the middle of summer. And we got out of the car, and for those of you who've ever opened your oven door and experienced the heat if you put your face in the wrong place, that's what it felt like. We got out of the car, and I wanted to get back in the car. 319 people live in Death Valley, and I don't know why. Um, because as we walked to the undercover of, of the building there, like the tourist part, it was 50 degrees Celsius in the shade. Now, Death Valley um, used to hold... Australia actually holds this record now. I don't know if it's a good thing. But it used to hold the record for the hottest temperature on Earth at 56.67 degrees Celsius. But it was winter, and I wanted to go there again because there's something unique about Death Valley. You see, I've never got to go to the Bible Lands, and I've never, I would love to go there one day and have a look at the Dead Sea. And there is no water at Death Valley. But when you get there, you actually travel down and down and down because it's 86 metres below sea level. And it is just, basically, there's an occasional bush that grows. It must be a good bush. And everything else is just arid and flat and salty. But it was at Death Valley 
We stayed the night and they had thermal pools and we enjoyed that. But it was at Death Valley that for the first time in my life I wrestled with God. You see, when you've been through bad experiences in life, sometimes you have to redirect yourself into safety. And I'd been through a bad experience and I needed to give up a role that I loved greatly. And at that point in time, God had opened the door and within a few weeks, Tara and I would actually be re-entering ministry at Springwood. And as we lay in bed that night, Tara can testify it, I wrestled and it was, it was as though I couldn't stay still. And it was one of the few times in my life where I actually heard God speak to me. And not just a tap on the shoulder or a word in the mind, because God can work in mysterious ways, but an, but an actual word from God. And it is from that experience that my life became realigned. Now, the destination that Cara and I were going to was pretty cool. And I wanted to show you one quick little photo. This is definitely not Death Valley. Uh, I think it's there. This is the three of us. Uh, that day was quite warm. It was only minus 15. And we're at a ski resort called Vale in Colorado. And that place is like perisher on steroids. Um, there are just runs everywhere, uh, snow runs everywhere. It's an incredible place. And uh, when you were there, the picture doesn't really, doesn't really do it justice because you can see the beautiful rocky mountains covered in snow. And you're up, on, you're up on the top of a hill and looking out, and it just, the 360-degree view from up there was absolutely marvellous. That was probably one of the highlights of our trip. It was amazing. But the highlight of where God wrestles with each one of us can actually change the course of our life. Today, I'd invite you to turn with me. If you've got your phone or your Bible, you're welcome to open them to Genesis chapter 32. So... Grab them out, Genesis chapter 32, and the story goes for 10 verses. The video is pretty much the story, but we will um, uh, we'll read it out together. So Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, and uh, we're going to read from the New Living Version today. Let me read it out for you. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servants' wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Verse 25. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your, no your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Verse 29. Please Tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, 
which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God's face, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has not been spared. And the last two verses, 31 and 32. The sun was rising on Jacob as he left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Verse 32 is interesting. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Why did Jacob end up wrestling God? Now, there's two interesting facts that we need to know about Jacob. The first fact is he, he is the younger brother of a twin. He came out second. And the Bible tells us that as he came out, he, he can't... I mean, it's a great picture... He was holding on to the foot of his brother Esau. So when he came out, he was actually holding his brother's foot, which is actually what his name means. And in this story that we have just read, this passage we've just read, his name has changed to what? Israel. To Israel. Why did Jacob end up wrestling God? Before we can really understand the significance of Jacob's wrestling match, we should review his life up to this point, and it's important to notice. Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and the grandson of the father of Israel, Abraham, whom God promised to make the father of many nations. Jacob had a twin brother, and we've talked about Esau, who was the firstborn, but Jacob grabbed him by the heel during their birth. The name Jacob means supplanter or to grab another's heel. Liberally speaking, it means to take what belongs to someone else. God even told Rebecca that her older son would serve the younger son. When Jacob and Esau were grown, Jacob tricked his brother out of his birthright with a meal. Later, Rebecca conspired to Jacob to trick Isaac and steal Esau's blessing. This resulted in Esau wanting to kill his younger brother, so Jacob fled. On his journey to his mother's homeland, he had a vision of angels and a ladder up to heaven. Now, there is an entire amazing afternoon read just in that. When Jacob reaches Haran, he meets his match in his uncle. Because it is Jacob that has deceived his brother Esau out of his inheritance, and it is Laban who has two daughters. And what does Laban do to Jacob? He tricks him. Because he had to work seven years to marry the younger daughter, which was, which was uh, I better make sure I get these right. It was Leah was the oldest. And I'm in a mental blank. Was it Rachel? Sorry. And he, he, he works seven years for Laban, and then Laban turns around and she's got a veil on and he marries her. And, and in, in the Jewish custom, you young people wouldn't like the Jewish custom, so I won't go into it. But in the Jewish custom, he sleeps with her. Sort of, it's out there. And, and then he realizes after consummating the marriage, that he was tricked by Uncle Haven and he ended up with Leah, the older sister. 
So he then goes back to Uncle Laban and says, uh, what do I need to do to marry um, Rachel? And another seven years of work. During that period, God blesses Jacob. Jacob came with nothing. And after the 14 years of working for Laban, he becomes a very, very wealthy man. God comes to him and he says, I want you now to go home. I want you to go back home. That message brought chills to Jacob. For 14 years he'd been safe. Whereas now he would have to go back and encounter his brother whom he had deceived. And as the story uh, from the Bible and also the story from our video told us today... As he goes back home, he becomes scared. So he sends his wives and he sends all of his possessions across a river and leaves them there. And it was at that point he realises he needs a strong connection with God. And he spends the evening praying to God and it is during that prayer that God turns up and wrestles him. Now the wrestle went till the early morning. And the interesting part in this story, in this wrestle, is that Jacob would not let go. Because the Bible says very clearly that in the morning, he couldn't get away from this guy. He's hanging on to his foot. He's doing whatever he needed to do. And that is where he just kept going and going and saying, Jacob kept saying, I need your blessings. I need your blessings over my life. I need your blessings over the directions that I'm, that I'm heading now. I need your blessings, the directions I'm heading in the future. And it was after that blessing, incredible part of the story, that God touches his hip. Now, I've hurt my hip a couple of times, usually because of the way I walk, um, but I've hurt it a couple of times and it's painful. And it was with that painful sore hip that God comes and blesses him. And with the limp, he was then okay, and he walked to his brother. And we, don't, we didn't read it in our story, but when he gets to his brother, he says to him, uh, I am so sorry for tricking you. I want to give you a lot of the wealth that God has given me. But it's amazing how the hand of God not only changed Jacob's direction, it had already been working in Esau. Because Esau just grabs hold of him and kisses him on the cheeks. The first thing that I can learn about this story is that we need forgiveness and it only comes from the mercy of God. I just want to repeat that. The first thing that we learn from this story is that we need forgiveness. If you want to be aligned in the direction of God, you've got to go and make yourself right with God. We need forgiveness. And it only comes from the mercy of God. Jacob was guilty of what he did to Esau. And he knew it. Up until this point, Jacob had relied on his own wits for his success. But now he didn't know what would happen. His survival was dependent on his brother's forgiveness 
of his wrongdoings. Jacob had no control over his brother's heart, but there was one person's heart he did, and it was his own. In Genesis 32 and verse 24, I think it'll go up on the screen. So Jacob was left alone and the man wrestled with him till daybreak. When it comes to cleaning our heart for God, God is willing to do the hard work. He's willing to get down and to scrub deep into our lives to make sure that we are right before him. This is extremely significant that the wrestling match happened at night. During the day, we can be distracted by the busyness of life. The quiet and solitude of night makes us face the fears we hold in our hearts. It was time for Jacob to see that he could no longer depend on his own strength. The forgiveness he needed to survive was out of his control. If we're to follow God, if we want to continue to follow God, We need to come to the point of recognising our wrongs, those dirty pieces in our own lives, our weaknesses. It is only through God's mercy that we can be forgiven and his grace that sees us through to the other side of the night. The night that I wrestled with God, I'm not sure it was exactly as physical as for Jacob. But I tossed and I turned and while I was just seeking sleep, I got none. But I got this clear message after spending this encounter time with God that there were things in my life that needed redirecting. There were things in the future for me in ministry and life that God had planned for. And for whatever reason, at Death Valley of all places, um, God turned up And he gave me a clear direction. You know, the direction at that point in time from God was that he clearly stated to me, I want you always to be involved with youth ministry. And like, that seems a little bit strange, but that was the direction God gave to me. Probably the same direction he's given to you, Rick, and people like Neil and Sarah and other people here who have always had their focus on caring for our young people. Why? Because that is where God has aligned us to be. God was reminding me at Death Valley that the alignment that he had for me was care for all people, but you keep a focus on our young people. And that was the clear message that he left me that night. I want to tell you a second thing that I've learned from wrestling with God. God honours perseverance, especially in our seeking of him. Genesis 32, 25 and 26, the Bible said, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, Let go of me, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go of you unless you bless me. What I see from Jacob in this story is that he, that God honours perseverance. We too often, in our walk with God, let go of his hand way too soon. It's been my experience. The times where I've wandered away from God's directions is because I have let go of him too soon. 
See, Jacob was wrestling God. Now, if God wanted to, he could have broken Jacob in, in 400 pieces, you know. God is God. He is the strength and the, that is beyond human comprehension. But in this story, God held back his strength. And while he still wrestled at a strength that Jacob was struggling with, it was the strength of Jacob, his perseverance of not letting go. In our walk with God, I want to challenge each one of us, including myself, is that if we truly seek him, we need to persevere. We can't just let go when the first bad thing happens in our life. The second quality that we learn of Jacob is determination. Jacob was not a quitter. His perseverance is highlighted in his pursuit of Rachel. Seven years. Now, some of you young men here, um, imagine if you had to work seven years for the hand of that young lady that you've been checking out. Some of us dads would make sure we gave you the nice jobs. Wouldn't we, Rick? Just the really, really nice jobs. Uh, because if you're going to marry our daughter, or in Rick's case, daughters, um, you want to make sure you deserve it. But his determination was that he was willing to sacrifice seven years of his life for the love of his life. And for him, not only seven, but 14. God blessed his determination. During that night of wrestling with God, I'm sure there were times where he was physically zapped and exhausted. But it wasn't until daylight that God actually said to Jacob, enough's enough, buddy. We've been wrestling all night. The sun's up. It's a new day. And it was at that point through his determination that God saw that Jacob was a man of true quality. And he goes onto his hip. The consequences during that wrestling match were not just insignificant. The wrestling match left him lame, but Jacob walked away with his blessing. The last point that I want to share in this story of the wrestling match is, I believe, one of the most important. Because Jacob knew his identity, and his identity was in whom gave him the blessing? I want to make sure that we all understand it. His identity was not in stealing the birthright. His identity was not being the younger twin. His identity was not the fact that Abraham, probably one of the greatest men in all of the Bible, was his grandfather. His identity was found in that he was blessed by the God Almighty. The man asked him, Genesis 32, verses 27 and 28. The man asked him, what is your name? As if God didn't know his name. But he wanted to make sure Jacob knew his name. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. 
Jacob, while having an interesting heritage, by the way of his grandfather's faith, Abraham, he was in the lineage of those who would multiply into many nations, we call today modern Israel. He'd inherited some of his grandmother Sarah's jealousy, some of his mother's unscrupulous wit, and some of his father's loyalty. He was named supplanter at birth and lived up to his name. Jacob in the early years was a selfish man. His love for Rachel, his loyalty to his family changes him partially, but it's in his wrestling with God that Jacob reaches the turning point. He is given a new name, Israel, which means Prince of, his, Prince of God. What is the significance of this new name? It is his new identity. God does this many times throughout Scripture. One of my favourite characters in the Bible is a guy called Saul, who met God along the way, so to speak. God also put an infirmity on him and he went blind. A few days later, God turns up and he is restored, his eyesight, and he becomes the Apostle Paul. Our identity is not found in just our name, but in the alignment that God has for each one of us. I believe it so much. Jesus does the same for every believer. Jesus does the same for you and for me. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, I'm actually going to go on right this time, Clay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Our identity is not in what OP you guys are going to end up in year 12. It's not. Our identity is not in if we've gone through any illness or sicknesses, and I'm sure Kathy would agree to that. Our identity is not found in cancer. When we look around each person here, our identity is not found in what job you are and how much money you've got in the bank. Our identity is found in Christ. As we keep reading through Genesis, we see that Jacob's name switches back and forth from his old name to his new name throughout his life. God, remains, God reminds Jacob of his new name once again. This often happens with us. God gives us a new name, his beloved, a new creation of him. But we forget who we are in our walk with him. Every now and then, that happens to each one of us. But as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5 and verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That moment in the desert uh, at Death Valley, it actually changed my approach. It actually changed 
within me the direction that God wanted for my life. See, prior to that, I'd spent three years out of ministry, been through divorce. I'd actually gone back to university at QT and studied and uh, came out with a different degree, a different pathway. Uh, For whatever reason, within that three-year period, God said, that ain't where I want you to be. Your identity is not in your job title. Your identity is not in by the ability to earn more money. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. When God comes and touches your heart, when God comes and wrestles with you, when you allow God to align your life, your life becomes completely changed. It was from that moment that Jacob got up from wrestling with God. He crossed and he walked towards his brother. His brother Esau arrived with 400 men. And as he arrived, he was on his own. And he came to his brother with a completely new focus. He was not the old brother that was just trying to outwit him. He was not the old brother at all. He was a new creation. And I praise God that Esau was also a new creation. Because when those two brothers reunited, they reunited as one. He became the beginning of our modern day God's people, the Israelites. Who does God want you to be? Who is God directing you towards? That's the challenge of today.